when do we allow people to live a full life and then when do we allow them to go? And I read out a text from Sally Ann that said, Jeff, does keeping someone alive at all costs include young babies who without extreme medical intervention would not survive if left alone? I'm both a parent and a nurse. All this really was was predicated on a, a letter I got from a woman telling the story of what it was like to let her 96-year-old mum go and that today she believes that even though she was sort of unhappy to be part of that process, that it was the right thing to do. You're going to get another dimension on our conversation this morning about handling the end of life. This is Luke. Good morning to you, Luke. Hi, Jeff. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Luke, would you tell us your story? Um, yeah, Jeff. My um, my daughter is three years old, and she um, unfortunately has a... Um, a, a, an uncurable um, neurodegenerative disease called Batten disease, and um, which is extremely rare, um, which is a good thing, but um, it's an extremely nasty disease as well. And, um, and unfortunately, there's no, um, there, as I said, there's no cure for it. Okay, can we humanise this? What's your daughter's name, Luke? Her name's Isla. Isla, and and she's had this condition since birth. Yeah, it's a genetic. We we didn't know. Um, unfortunately, my my wife and I both um, had, were carriers of a recessive gene, and we, unfortunately, they matched up um, when Isla was conceived, and um, so she was born with it, and um, she um, sort of developed, you know, normally as you would expect for for a year, about a year before we sort of started to. Um, notice um, that she was sort of missing milestones and um, and then as sort of things progressed and she started um, unfortunately started losing skills that she had gained and then we got you know very worried and doctors got involved and eventually she was diagnosed with band disease. Can you describe her today Luke what what she looks like what her life is like? Yeah today? yeah today she's um, she's three years old um, she's absolutely beautiful she's um she's a gorgeous girl she um but unfortunately that the the disease has sort of progressed quite quite um a fair way down the road now so she is um she's uh she doesn't have any sort of independent um movement and she she can't talk um she she's blind um she is basically dependent um Fully dependent in every way. Um, Has she ever been care. able to see Luke? Yeah, she 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 could see um, the um, the disease. What it does, it, it affects um, neuronal cells in the brain and also um, the the cells in the back of the eyes. So she could see um, probably until she was about two, and it was then you know around that time when she started to lose her eyesight. Can you tell me what life is like at your place? Um, it's pretty crazy because um, we have a uh, we have a one and a half year old daughter as well who's who's healthy and she keeps us very busy. But um, basically, our lives are focused on um, um, full time care for for Isla. We get a lot of help um, yes. through um, through family and friends and also through um, um, government agencies and so on. But, what, um, what kind of help do you you have, and what kind of help? do you need to have on a daily basis? Well, um, um, as I said, I mean, Isla sort of needs, you know, needs constant care. She, um, so really the day is, 
is filled with the sort of the routine of medications and preparing medications and um, and feeding for Isla and, and cleaning and so on. Um, we, um, my wife and I both work, but um, we share, um, one of us is always home except for one day when we have a, a wonderful carer who um, um, comes from Identity WA and she looks after Isla on one day a week. Mm. Um, but basically Isla's, you know, Isla's home and she's she's sort of um, bound to, to bed and chair and, um, um, yes. Is Lucas Isla aware of you and your wife and your circumstances and, and her sibling? Look, that, that's a really, really, really difficult question. We, um, we think so, and um, in, in small ways. It, it's, it's hard to know because she can't communicate um, um, at all. But, um, you know, we're very, very attuned to her moods, and I do think, you know, that when, like, she loves being held, and so, for example, if she's if she's unhappy or distressed, then generally a good um, a good hug will will make her happy. And um, she does, from time to time, turn towards a voice when she hears someone's voice. She knows um, she's very aware of when um, someone's in bed with her or, or when she's by herself. Mm. Um, either my wife or I spend the night with her every night, and. Um, on the occasions when you know you get up and and uh, to go out of the room, then she is aware that you've gone. I think. Look, you you are facing uh, obviously the kind of challenges most of us do not grasp. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, what does the future hold for you and Isla? Um, well, Isla's condition is degenerative, and so um, the particular version of Batten she has, she's she's looking at. Life expectancy is about five years. Um, um, that said, there's a there's a great range there, and um, but Isla's disease is, is progressing quite rapidly. So it's really we really don't know how long we have with her, and um, and um, so basically we focus on um, you know we're focused daily on her quality of life and what's in her best interest rather than what's in our best interest do you know how to manage do you know how you're going to manage those next few years because and I know you're talking to us because we've been discussing the notion of mm. prolonging prolonging someone's life at all costs mm. and we it's easy and and I think a less less painful mm. to discuss it at the end of someone's life but mm. not not in your situation what how will you know what to do, Luke? Well, it really, it always, it, it really comes down to, for us, it comes down to Isla's care and comfort rather than, than life extension. And um, and so everything we do is focused on her, her comfort and making her um, comfortable and happy and, and basically um, giving as much dignity to her life as we can. So... Um, you know, we're constantly assessing her quality of life and we're constantly making decisions about, um, you know, medical decisions about um, what's in her interest. So, for example, um, she's she's fed through a peg at the moment and um, when we were faced with that, when her swallow mechanism started to go and we were making a decision about um, whether to have a peg or not, then obviously we decided, yes, that's in her best interest. 
Um, but, you know, as things progress and her awareness and consciousness, I suppose, goes, then um, as sort of medical um, crises come up, you know, we, we, we keep on making the decision, is it the best, is it in her best interest to to do a particular thing? So, for example, we would never, you know, we would never contemplate making an active decision to, to end her life, but... Um, but if you were if you were to ask me, should we preserve her life in every in every event and under all circumstances, then I would, you know, I would say probably no, because mm. I think there are some circumstances where um, it's not in her her best interest, um, because you know potentially she could be placed on on full life support. Um, you know, indefinitely, I suppose, yes. until, or until she suffered sort of some sort of global organ failure. But, but I don't think that would be in her her best interest because, um, you know, really at that point, then, you know, you know, her Isla, as we know her, wouldn't really be there anymore. Um, and um, and I don't think that would be a, a you know a comfortable, dignified existence for her. Um, so so I suppose that that's what we that's what we're sort of facing yeah. that we. You know, we, I suppose, you know, I, I sort of think a lot about, you know, how do we make her life as dignified as possible? And that, that also extends to her death. I mean, we know it's coming and we want it to be as dignified as possible. And um, so so in a practical sense, you know, there are there are decisions in place about what would happen if, um, if Isla, you know, suffered a heart attack, for example, and what would happen if... Um, mm. If she developed a, a very serious chest infection, you know yes. how aggressively would we fight that, and so on. Yeah, so they become sort of issues of—is uh, it fair to say issues of, of, of pain and distress? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we we um, we have a lot of good advice from um, from doctors and, and nurses who are quite sort of intimately involved with with Isla's care, and um, and together we've worked on a um, a care management plan. And um, and that focuses on mostly on pain relief and um, rather than life extension. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Luke tell the story of three-year-old Isla, who has Batten disease, who's uh, blind, uh, unable to eat, move her limbs, and has a very limited life expectancy. And you're hearing a parent talk, I think, in a, a beautifully composed way about the challenges that must represent for a parent. Luke, I don't want to hold you up much longer, but I'm curious to know what helps you and your wife, whose name we've not even mentioned. What's her name? Yeah, my wife's name is Tanya. Okay, what, how you and Tanya uh, keep going. What, what's your strong motivation, apart from the fact you've got this adorable kid? Well, uh, you know, we so, sometimes actually... What it is is um, there was an, another child who who died recently, um, and that child's brother um, spoke at the child's funeral and said, you know, he said, look, people always say to me that that was the unluckiest, you know, um, your family's so unlucky. And he said, and he was nine years old, and he said, no, we're, we're the luckiest family in the world because, you know, we have this beautiful, um, you know, beautiful sibling, and and that's what it is. I mean, we. You know, Isla is a very, very unlucky girl. I mean, it, it was a one in a million um, shot that that she would get this. And and um, but as far as our family goes, you know, we 
it's been such a privilege to, it is such a privilege to look after her. And she's so beautiful and so loving and, and uh, it's by far the, the most important thing that, that I've ever done in my life and, and I'm sure I speak for my wife as well, that, that there's nothing that can compare to, um, you know, to what it's like looking after her. So um, that's, how we, that's how we keep going because it's not a, you know, it's not, a, it's not difficult, it's not a chore, it's a, it's a privilege and, um, but just unfortunately a privilege that's going to have a, you know, a very sad ending. Luke, it's been our privilege to hear you today and, and we thank you most sincerely for talking to us and we wish you uh, uh, all the best. I'm not quite sure what the definition of that yeah. is or what the parameters yeah. of, of that is, but uh, we'd, we'd love to stay in touch and any time you uh, feel like talking to the rest of us, yeah. we'd be very, very keen to hear from you. Yeah, my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. Good on you, Luke. Yeah. What, a, what an incredible fellow and, and what a story. Uh, sometimes this show provides me with the opportunity to uh, have a truly humbling experience, and I think that was one, uh, Luke and Tanya and Isla. And as uh, someone has just written in, it's people like Luke and Tanya who put the kind in humankind, truly inspirational, and it does make you realise that some of our problems really aren't problems at all. Thank you for that observation too.